Thank you so much. It is certainly an honor and joy uh, to be with you again this year. Um, yeah, so DBU did that because they came to the conclusion that I could never afford it, so they just... <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much, and um, we are so thankful and honored by the partnership with Valley Ranch Baptist Church for such a long time of uh, helping us to make a difference in the South Dallas Fair Park community in so many uh, different ways, and particularly during this pandemic of really how your church has come alongside of us and helped us to uh, minister to many who are really struggling, going through a hard time. Uh, members of your church, a member of your church, uh, come down uh, every Tuesday and Thursday and just graciously does COVID tests to, for uh, our community, and that continues even today so that um, individuals can know their status and take the appropriate actions. Um, we have a group that comes down, that come down and uh, help us to provide meals for uh, the ladies in our Viola's house, which is a ministry that serves uh, teen moms who are homeless and pregnant with nowhere else to go and coming down to provide meals for them. Uh, certainly, we're very grateful and appreciative to uh, the team that comes down once a month on the first Thursday to provide meals at the Cornerstone Kitchen to help us to serve and love on our homeless population. And um, thank you so much for continuing to do that, and even in the height of the pandemic, uh, when it was very difficult for us to get volunteers to show up. We thank you so much for your commitment to continue to hang in there with us. And then for those who come down graciously and serve at the clothing closet, not only providing clothes to those who are in need, but really uh, loving on them and praying with them and encouraging them uh, through some very difficult and hard times. And thank you again yesterday for uh, the number of volunteers who showed up to help us to do a lot of opportunities or service projects that we had on our heart to do but just didn't have the time to do of landscaping at the uh, White House and the uh, church. We had to take up some bushes because people were doing some ungodly things behind bushes and all we had the time to do was tear them up, take them up. And so we're thankful for the team that came yesterday and was able to really beautify the space so that the church uh, really looks nice, and so thank you, thank you for loving on yesterday the elderly at Park Manor. Many of those individuals are alone and forgotten. And during this thanks, uh, Thanksgiving season, uh, thank you so much for reminding them of uh, the fact that individuals do love and care and are concerned about them. And just the many ways in which you served on yesterday and continue to serve, we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day in which you've allowed us to come and to share with our friends here at Valley Ranch Baptist Church. And thank you for uh, their members who have a heart to uh, love those who are unlovely and to uh, give hope to the hopeless. And we thank you, God, for this opportunity to come and to share. Pray that you would speak to encourage us, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Since we've been in the pandemic over the last 21 months, it's been a very difficult time. I know for uh, many of our families in South Dallas and particularly our church members and uh, because of the death, the sickness, many have been hospitalized and have been going through a very difficult and hard times. And so uh, several months ago, we decided to walk them through the book of Hebrews, uh, a book that really encourages believers and challenges them to continue to have faith, to hang in there, to not give up, to not get weary to not throw in the towel, but to stay, fixed, to stay steadfast and not to become weary in their well-doing, 
but to keep on keeping on. And today we want to uh, look at a passage out of Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 19, and just really a challenge. It's a challenge to keep on keeping on, not to give up, not to get weary, not to throw in the towel. Because in life, sometimes you feel as if you are in a rat race, and oftentimes you feel like the rats are winning. You feel like it is living life on a treadmill. You are going fast, but you feel like you are going nowhere. And I think that it was important for us to begin looking at uh, our congregation and our world in the midst of all that is going on around us and begin challenging them to hang in there, to not lose focus, to keep on keeping on, to draw strength from God and from his word and, and, and ultimately from one another. And I think that is what we see in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 19. The writer of Hebrews is writing to uh, a group of believers who are going through, again, difficult times. They've lost homes. They've become discouraged. They have to deal with false teachings all around them. Individuals who are trying to get them to go back to the old way of doing things under the, uh, under the mosaic system of offering sacrifices, giving them the impression that the blood of Christ was not sufficient to accomplish all that God had intended it for it to accomplish. They were saying that you needed to add something to, to your salvation experience, to which the writer writes to encourage them to stay focused, to not go back, to keep on pressing, that God has accomplished on the cross through his son Jesus Christ everything that needs to be accomplished. And we have the great experience of having a relationship with our Christ through his finished work on the cross, the great high priest. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, he writes, therefore, brothers and sisters. And the word therefore is significant because early on in chapter 10, he wanted to stress over and over and over again. Individuals are out there telling you to go back. They are telling you that it's not sufficient. But he wants to remind them that that the blood of Christ on the cross, his death was sufficient to accomplish and satisfy the wrath of God once for all. Once for all, for everyone. It is through his blood, through his finished work, that he satisfies the wrath of God that brings us back into a relationship with God. He wants to remind them of, uh, of the significance of, of that work that Christ was able to accomplish for you and for I. And so the, he writes to them as brothers and sisters, as the family of God that have been brought together through the blood of Christ. We now, he says, have confidence that we can now enter the most holy place in the Old Testament, as you know, in the tabernacle, in the temple, that in, not just anyone could go into the, tab, into the holy place. It was reserved for the priest, and particularly once a year, the high priest who would go into the most holy place, and he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But he had to be careful. He had to make sure that he offered a sacrifice, first of all, for his own sins. Because even though you may not believe it, the preacher is a sinner too. 
he had to offer a sacrifice for his own sins and then for the sins of people. But there was always a fear. But he invites them. Since we have confidence, we can go to the most holy place. We can now have access to God. We can now talk to God and have a relationship with God for ourselves. How is this possible? How is it possible that a holy God, a righteous God, a God who has no sin, would have a relationship with an individual who have messed up, who have gone astray, who have sinned, who have failed over and over again? He says, I'm glad you asked. It is only possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is only possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. He lets them know it is not, you don't have this right based on your own, uh, your own righteousness. You don't have this right based on your own skills, your own abilities. The only reason why we have a right to approach God with confidence is because of what Christ has done and Christ has accomplished for you and I. He writes over and over again to remind them it is by the blood of Christ that we have this access to God. Early on in chapter 9, verse 12, he says, Christ did not enter by means of this, this um, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus returning, uh, obtaining out eternal redemption, the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of heifers sprinkled um, on those who are ceremonially unclean could only sanctify them outwardly. It could do nothing to change their situation inwardly. Christ, he died in order that we might have a relationship with God. He opened through his death on the cross, the Bible is clear, verse 20, a new and living way, a new and living way through the curtain. Not in the Old Testament. When they came to worship, they had to bring a bull, a goat, the ashes of heifers in order to have their sins covered. But he says, God has provided a new way, not through the blood of goats and bulls and doves. I tell our church and remind our church, we're so thankful that when we come to church, we don't have to have an altar in order to, in order to offer up sacrifices for our sins. In fact, if some of us had to do that, the building would be filled with animals <laughs> because we have shown up, messed up over and over again. So we don't have an altar where we have to offer up sacrifices for our sins. All we need is a pulpit to tell the world that that which has been sacrificed has already been sacrificed. A new and a living way that was opened up according to the text that was opened up through the curtain. 
Many of us remember in Matthew chapter 27 when Christ dies on the cross, the veil that separated the temple, the holy, the most holy place that separated God from man. It, it was torn from top to bottom, not from bottom to top, because God wanted to send the message that I am the one that is granting the access. I am the one that is making the way for you to approach me. We have that as we celebrate it this morning through the communion, through his body, through his body that was beaten, that was bloody, that was shed. And since now we have a high priest that is over the house of God. In fact, as we have journeyed through this book, we saw that in the Old Testament, the priest did not have a seat in the most holy place in the temple because the work was never done. There was always something to be done daily for the sins of people, the sins of the people. But our high priest, once he had made the ultimate sacrifice, was able to sit down and not just sit down, but at the right hand, a position of power. So he is there making intercession session for you and I. The writer of Hebrews wants to spend a great deal of time reminding their readers of all that Christ has accomplished for them, how he was willing to go to an old rugged cross in order to accomplish their salvation once for all. No need to come to church every year for Christ to be sacrificed all over again. His blood still works. It still reaches to the highest mountain. It still flows to the lowest mountain, the lowest valley. The blood that gives us strength from day to day shall never lose its power. He wants them to know that you have an advocate, you have a high priest, one that is at the right hand of the Father. Right, he is right there in the holy place making that intercession for you and I. In light of that truth, in light of what he has accomplished for us, he challenges them to be encouraged, to not give up, to hang in there to keep on pressing. He tells them, in light of all that Christ has accomplished for us, verse 22, notice, we can draw near to God. We can draw near to God with a sincere heart. We can draw near to God. He had told them early on in Hebrews chapter 4 about the significance of their high priest and the ability that they have through prayer because of him. Chapter 4, verse 14, therefore, since we have a high priest who has ascended into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He knows our struggles. He knows our failures. He knows our shortcomings. But he can relate because he was in all points tempted like we were. He knows to be tempted by the world, the flesh, and the 
the devil. But notice, he, 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 he has been tempted like we have been, but he was without sin. And so let us approach the throne of God with confidence, with assurance, so that we may find mercy and grace to help us in time of need. He says to them, I want you to have the ability and recognize that because of what Christ has done for us, you can hang in there because you have access to, through, to God through prayer. You can come to him with a sincere heart. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, the question was asked, who can ascend into the mountain of God or who can stand in his holy place? It is he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Says to them, because of the work of Christ, we now can approach God because he has given us a sincere, we have a sincere heart. And we have the full assurance that when we call on God, he answers. He answers. The full assurance that comes as a result of our faith, of trusting and believing God, that there is nothing too hard for him. In fact, the next chapter reminds us, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen in chapter 11, verse 1. In verse 6, he reminds them, without faith, it is impossible to please him. We have that assurance that we can go to God unwavering, that he will answer our prayer. The book of James reminds us that when we go to God, we don't have to waver. We know that he will answer our prayer. Songwriters write, just a little talk with Jesus makes it all right. He will hear our humble prayer. He will hear our humble cry, and he will answer by and by. That faith, that trust, that assurance that we have in him, because our hearts have been sprinkled by his blood. Notice, the text says, it is able to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. It is able to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. In fact, if we go back to chapter 9, verse 13, it says the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctified them so that they are outwardly clean. But in the Old Testament, as they were having their sins covered, as the priests would sprinkle blood and they would have their sins covered, they still dealt with a guilty conscience. The blood of those animals could clean outwardly, but it could do nothing to change 
the inside. You know what he says because of the blood of Christ as we approach him and because of what he has done? It is able to change us from the inside outside. He is able to change us from the inside outside. There's a song that used to sing, I looked at my hands and they looked new. I looked at my feet and they did too. When I became a Christian, you know what? When I looked at my hands, they looked the same. When I looked at my feet, they looked the same. But when God changes your heart, your hands that look the same don't want to do the same old stuff. Your feet that look the same don't want to go the same old places. God, he says, through his death on the cross, changes you from the inside outside. It does impact the outside because our bodies are washed with the pure water of the word. Uh, I'm sorry, the pure uh, washed with pure water that God does cleanse us. But the change begins on the inside. Not like the Old Testament where it was just external. It is just not more than a covering because when Jesus shows up in the book of John, John says, behold the Lamb of God, not who covers, but who takes away the sin of the world. He cleanses us. And one of the things that gives us the strength to persevere, to hang on in there, to keep on pressing, is the fact that God has changed our narrative by giving us hope in Christ. We now have a new hope, the assurance that is brought by faith, by trusting God, by believing God. But not only do we have faith and we're encouraged to hang in there, but he says, verse 23, let us hold unswavering to the hope that we possess. The hope that we possess. That hope looks for forward to things in the future. That things may be dark and difficult and a challenge right now. But it says we can hold unswavering that in the future things will be, get better, that God has the ability to change any circumstance and situation around. And, and that's one of the things that we encourage our people in South Dallas, that although it's hard now and difficult now, and, and you may not know what the struggles of tomorrow are going to hold, as things change, we have hope. And hope is able to look out into the future and say that some way, somehow, God is going to change things and make them better. How can we have that hope? How can we have that hope? And why do we have that hope? Why do we have hope that things will get better 
Why do we have that hope that in spite of the world seemingly falling apart all around me, I can get up one more day? I don't have to go through depression and feel like life is not worth the living anymore. He says, because the one who promised you hope is faithful. God will never let you down. We love good songs. In fact, enjoyed the praise singing this morning. One of the songs that uh, Brother Will led, we often have challenges with. Because one of the songs said, I think it said something like, he's never failed me yet. One of our ministers said, we need to take the yet out of it. Because yet gives us the impression that one day he just might do that. But we can say, he has never failed me, period. We can end it right there. He will never leave me, period. He will always come through for me, period. I can always depend on him. He who gives us this hope in the future that things are ultimately going to turn around, he is faithful. Another thing that he challenges us as we keep on keeping on, not only has God done, has God done so much for us in helping us to have faith in him, as we see that assurance, not only verse 23, helping us to have hope, but he challenges them, you can hang in there because we have one another. We are not in this by ourselves. Verse 24, he says, notice, and let us consider, think about, Always ponder in our minds how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. To think about how can we be there for our fellow man. He says, that's what our challenge is. Individuals, we often remind them, you may not need the church, but the church needs you. The church needs you because someone may not have as much faith and hope as you have. And so he says the challenge is to always be thinking about how we can be engaged in spurring and encouraging one another as they run this race because the writers of Hebrews knew that they were in an environment where, where they were constantly under attack. 
In fact, if you go into the latter part of chapter 11, verse, uh, chapter 10, rather, verse 33, he says, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. At times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those who were in prison and joyfully accepted the confrontation, confrontation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. He says, we need to be there for one another because there are some who need that word of encouragement, who need the strength to hang on in there. Their gas tank is not on empty. They really function off of fumes. And it takes the body of Christ, you and I, to encourage them, to spur them on, to push them. You can make it. Hang in there. Things are going to get better. Remember the work of Christ on the cross. That's one of the reasons why this morning we've spent some time talking about and remembering all that Christ has accomplished for us. Because it's an encouragement to keep on keeping on. He says, because the reality to these believers, some had given up. Some had thrown in the towel. Some had walked away. Verse 25, he reminded them, some of them, they're not meeting together. Some of them are in the habit of not coming to church not gathering, and that becomes an avenue by which the devil is able to get a foothold, to discourage you so that you don't want to be around believers who can encourage you. But notice what he says. We ought to encourage one another. Encourage one another. When and why should we encourage one another? Notice what he says. We need to do it all the more as we see the day approaching, the day of Christ's return. And the day of Christ's return will be a glorious day. But leading up to it, it will be difficult. Things will be hard. Things in the Bible says will get worse. We think it's bad now. Things are going to get even worse. And that's why he says we need to encourage one another. As the day gets closer, the devil knows that his time is not long. And so you know what? He's mad. And he's good and mad. And so we need to draw our strength, encouragement from one another. So that's what Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 26 want to encourage us and inspire us. We need to have that faith, the faith to really recognize what Christ has done for us, to boldly come to him in prayer. We need to not only have faith as we journey in this life, as we navigate these times, but we need to have hope 
that it may be difficult now, but trouble won't last always. We have something to look forward to. And in spite of how difficult it is now, God is faithful and God will always be faithful. We need to encourage one another, not only with our faith and our hope, but with love, to spur one another on, to encourage one another, to love one another. Because as we continue to run this race, unfortunately, the reality is we live in a world that will keep getting wicked. And the only way we can make it is as we struggle together to encourage one another together to hang on in there, to keep the faith, to not get weary. Father, thank you so very much for your word. Thank you for the challenge that we can hang on in there, that we have the ability to approach your throne with confidence that you hear us. And if you hear us, we know we have what we desire from you. Thank you so much, God, for our hope that we have in you. The fact that we can look out and realize that no matter how difficult it is now, things will get better because we have confidence that you won't fail us. Help us to exemplify love, to encourage one another as we journey along, shoulder to shoulder, believer to believer, to not give up meeting together, but to really spur one another on. For it's in the name of Jesus, our Christ, we pray. Amen.